Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. It's so bad that you have. All of a sudden, that hope that you once had is dashed. It's destroyed. You had the hope then. You're saying, oh, man, what am I going to do? At one moment, that anticipation with joy, the other one is, oh, man, I hope. I don't know if I'm really going to get through all of this stuff. How many know exactly what I'm speaking about in some measure, whether it's a health issue or a promise that was made to you so you had the hope and then it was canceled? Something happened like that. Would you raise your hand right now? Okay, all of us have that if you all think about it. Here's the good news. No, first of all, before I give you the good news, I've got to give you the bad news. The bad news is, as long as man is involved and we live on planet Earth, no man can fully forever keep the promises all the time. And so, therefore, God says, do not put your confidence in man, but put your confidence in God. That's why Scripture also says, don't put your confidence in princes. Now, what do I mean by prince? Princes mean don't put your confidence in people who are leaders. Who are leaders? People who are in control. Sometimes you can say, the grunt worker, I can't trust them because other people are pulling their chain. That's true. But God also says, don't put your confidence in the head honchos. Because they may be able to pull a lot of chains, but they can't pull every chain. So that's why God says, yes, you can, you know, think and hope that they're telling the truth, etc. But your greatest confidence can be in only one person. Watch this now. The one who is sovereignly in control, the most powerful, and sufficient that he needs no other help from anyone else. And that's the theme of this entire book. That's why I have hope. So I don't have a hope, a hope, a hope I'm going to heaven. I hope this gospel really is up there. When God says, if you believe, you have life. If you believe, you have life. That's the bottom line. And that's the hope that they had. And man... That gets so exciting. I don't have to worry about it. My hopes won't be dashed. I'm not going to get to heaven and God's going to say, Hey, Stan, you've been preaching all this faith alone stuff. I lied. He's not going to say that. He's not going to do that to you. Why? His very nature is truth. And the Bible says that that's not good enough for you. A very part of his nature that is not his nature, that he doesn't have in his nature, is this. He cannot tell a lie. So you have hope. Let's go to the next one, number four. <clears throat> We're going to try to pick up the speed here a little bit. Those are the foundational, faith, hope, and love. So let's move a little faster now. That's my mom's gang. <laughs> no, I'm joking. That's not. Let's go to number four. The good news is worldwide, which is worldwide. I think this is cool. This good news that Jesus died, rose again, which has come to you, as it has in all the world, that includes all people groups everywhere, that that good news is for every single person. Do you know how quickly when the gospel ignited in the New Testament days that it was fanned throughout the world, mostly through persecution and trials and tribulation, but it was fanned very quickly. So even in the end of the, or excuse me, the middle of the second century, a writer by the name of Justin Martyr, some of you have heard that name if you've been around uh, Christian teaching a lot. Here's what he wrote in the uh, middle of the second century. He said this, how fast the gospel went through all the world. He said, there is no people, group, Greek, barbarian, or any other race, by whatever appellation or manners they may have distinguished themselves. In other words, no matter what kind of group it is, however ignorant they might be of the arts or even of agriculture, whether they dwell in tents or wander about in covered wagons, 
among whom prayers and thanksgivings are not offered in the name of Jesus Christ. What it's basically saying, I don't care where any of the lost world might be, the name of Christ is being named and we're giving thanks for that. I'm going to tell you that that's global. And our church needs to remember its global heritage. We are not just some little church in the Pali. We are international Baptist church. We are global. We need to be missional people. Here's another one. Tertullian writes this. His is even cooler. He says, we Christians, remember this is right when the New Testament was just finished. He said, we Christians are but of yesterday, meaning we just got our start in Antioch. We just started. We're but of yesterday. And yet we already fill your cities, your islands, your camps, your palace, your senate, and your forum. We've left you only your temples. So what he's basically saying is, we who are Christians, as much as where we could be, whether it's in a camp, an island, whether we got involved in politics, wherever we were as a Christian, we are everywhere, except we won't go to your temples. We're not going to worship your God. We're different. We're living a separated life because we've got a better life in Christ. And that was right after the New Testament began. So what I'm thinking here is, that's the hope of the gospel. So it's not just about us for no more shut the door. This message is for everyone, and it's going everywhere. I'm so excited I could pop, but I need to leave this and go a little bit further. Let's go to number five. The good news produces fruit. Produces fruit. It says here, as it has also in all the world, as it has also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit, as it has also among you since the day you heard. Now, some of you, that's kind of neat, it's kind of special, but let me see if I could add a little horsepower of understanding to this. All right, first of all, fruit. We could make the argument, is that mean fruit of the Spirit, that the fruit of the Spirit is known all over? I think there could be a stretch argument that we could make, that if a Christian is, is being influenced by the Spirit, he's trusted Christ as Savior, he'll manifest the fruit of the Spirit. So that fruit, love, joy, peace, all that stuff, will be known wherever he goes all over the world. I think I could make that. But it also could be that when I lead someone to Christ, that person becomes fruit, becomes another person who's trusted Christ. An apple tree bears apples, okay? A tangerine tree bears tangerines. A lychee tree bears lychees. A Christian bears other Christians. So the fruit of a Christian is another Christian. Are you all with me so far? Go, uh huh. Uh huh. So that fruit. Now, here's what I'd like you to understand this. This is critical to understanding this passage. It says, as it was heard in all the world. Now, it doesn't matter. It is important, by the way, that the gospel is heard everywhere we go. But it isn't just about the gospel being heard. It also says, and is bearing fruit. And so that means not only are we getting the message out, but we're doing what we can to make sure that the seed of the message takes root so you'll have fruit from this thing. And that's what he's saying. So for me, it's not just Sunday after Sunday heralding the message of the Bible. And I, I'm glad you, you allow me the privilege to do this here. And I'm glad that God has allowed me this privilege. But as much as I like preaching the word, I really like to see light bulbs come on when people come to know Christ as Savior. I love to see Christians who are now getting right with God in areas that they have maintained too much of their worldliness and carnality. I want to see fruit from this. And the greatest joy I have is when some of you that now come to know Christ as Savior is now trying to reach other people for Christ. That's when the gospel is not only heard, but it's bearing fruit. And we're glad to see that. 
We've got about 12 people that's going to join the church in another couple of weeks. That's fruit. We're going to be baptizing probably about four people. We've got three, one more to interview. Four people we're baptizing next Sunday after the morning service at Bellows. So we are beginning to see more and more fruit in the 2008 season. I'm excited. But the fruit is not us. The fruit comes from Him. So keep that in mind. The good news, it will produce fruit. Number six, the good news is rooted in grace. I'm so glad Kaipo and his wonderful family sang for us Amazing Grace and that we could join him at the end singing Amazing Grace because the good news is rooted in grace. Would you read Ephesians 2, 8, 9? Read it with me, will you, won't you? For by grace you have been saved through faith. And then not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So going to heaven is not based on good works, it is based on His grace. Go back to the verse now from Colossians where it says, and also they knew the grace of God in truth. Circle the word grace there and underline it or mark it there. Put the word, if you don't mind, good, because grace is good. Grace is the goodness of God on undeserving people. We don't deserve it. God says, I'm going to give you goodness, which is my saving faith. I'm going to give you this. You are going to come to know Christ as Savior. That is good. Then it says, of God in truth. Circle the word truth there and put the word news. Because the heart of the news of the gospel is the truth that Jesus died and rose again. So with grace and truth, you have good news. The news is truth. The grace is good. And it's all wrapped up in that. Uh, last week, our dear friend here at this church for many years, Jonathan, and uh, his mom and dad and all them here, and his sweet wife, we were talking about good news, and I stood with him in the back as he runs our sound, and I said, you know, Jonathan, you know what makes the good news so good? And he chuckled, and he says, what? I said, because the bad news is so bad. <laughs> now think about that for a moment. The reason the good news is so good is because the bad news is so bad. You know, I'm talking all about this good news and get right with God and all this kind of stuff, but you know what I didn't tell you? How bad hell or how bad life after death will be separated from God? Now, I don't have, this is a whole sermon. I mean, it's more than a sermon because Jesus spoke more of hell than he did of heaven. And I don't think we really capture what it's like when someone dies and go to hell. A couple of weeks ago, maybe it was last week, I mentioned how some of us pastors are asked to do a funeral when a family has nobody to do a funeral. We're faced with having to say something about a guy who everything we hear from the family, everything we read, his whole eulogy, is that he believed in a belief system that was not Christian, that is not truth. He believed a lie. And this person died. He did a lot of nice stuff, so I'm not going to deny that he had a good poof, you know, like a vapor life here on this earth, adding value. But he's dead. And everything I know about the veracity of Scripture tells me that when that person died, he was not absent from the body and present with the Lord. And if he's not absent from the body, present with the Lord, he is suffering the vengeance of God's eternal judgment and fire forever and ever. And when I'm up there, and, 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 and we're at the casket at the, at the, the cemetery, and I'm looking at this... I'm thinking, this guy right now, who did not trust Christ, he's just not dead. He is suffering the vengeance of eternal damnation forever. And it, do you know what? This is gonna, the, hang on to your seats when I tell you this. I almost want to not believe it. I almost want to deny the Bible. I almost want to find a flaw in Scripture so that I don't have to believe that. But if I'm going to be true with integrity in my study, I cannot deny the fact that this guy, this gal, is burning forever. You young people, I want you to see 
And if that person died with that siren, they died and they went to hell. And yet they're still going to be offered up after hell to stand before what is known as the great white throne to then be determined how much, not how long, but how much suffering they're going to have for eternity. It won't be a light suffering, but the degree of judgment that they're going to have. So what makes that good news so good? The bad news is so bad. And what's so special about the bad news is God says, I'll give you the good news. Just trust Christ. That's the good news. That's his redemptive plan. And may I tell you this? That is the only redemptive plan. All right, let's go on to number seven. <clears throat> the good news is communicated by people. It says this, As you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. In other words, he was saying, you, he, he brought to us that you trusted Christ, but he also brought to me your love for me in the Spirit. But they heard it from Epaphras. Now, I'm not going to take the time to open up the biography of Epaphras, where he came from, what he did, where he went, how he got back. We're going to do that later on when we study more about his life. He's found later on in the book. But here's what's important. It's highly likely that Epaphras' hometown was Colossae. Now, stay with me on this. It's cool. His hometown was Colossae. And it's quite possible that Epaphras was mentored and discipled by Paul in his life and that it wasn't Paul that gave the Colossians the gospel. It's very likely that Epaphras brought the gospel there and his thinking could have been that Epaphras says, I hear the gospel, but I can't wait for someone else to bring the gospel to Colossae, yea, to my family. I'm going to bring the gospel. So Epaphras, he goes into Colossae, connects with all of his family, Things are happening and popping. People are coming to know Christ as Savior. He's so excited, he's got to go back to his mentor, which is Paul, and say, listen, there's a revival going on over here. Stuff is happening. And so he's so excited. So how do I, what do I do with that is this. I pray anybody will give the gospel to any of my unsafe family members. But I'm not going to rely upon the fickleness and the lack of total faithfulness of other Christians that I want to do what I can to probe my family with the gospel. And now let me step away from my family because it's not about my family, it's about everybody. And while I am so grateful for kingdom building and why I want to unite with other churches to help them give the clear gospel message and why I want to celebrate and do all of that, at the same time, I do not want to rely on everybody else is going to get the message that we have to do it ourselves. So... If you want your family to hear the gospel, it's a good thing to bring them to church. I hope you do, because they'll hear it here every Sunday. And maybe you're the only one that'll get them here. But at the same time, don't rely upon the feebleness of my ability to communicate into the heart and life of your family member that God might very well call you to be the Epaphras of your family. And some of you, let's step away from your family, of your canoe club, of your job, of your cubicle, of your class, of your committee of your neighborhood, of whatever else you're involved in in the island, politically or socially, that you become the Epaphras. Because it says the good news is communicated by people. My beloved Epaphras, look at the first part of the verse there in verse 7. As you Colossians also learned from Epaphras. Would you underline that? You learned it from Epaphras. You've heard it from others, but you've learned it from Epaphras. Your family and friends could 
hear it from others, but they got to hear it from you. That God has led you to be that missionary for that particular time. I'm excited about this message. I'm excited about our missionaries. Do you know that uh, it's been brought to my attention that in October, October 4th through the 12th, we did a, a little study here of our missionaries. Do you know that we have 70% or more of our missionaries that are going to be coming in from all over the world to be here for our Leaving a Legacy Conference? Do you know how hard it is for churches to have that percentage of the, all their missionaries to come in for a conference? We have seven, and there are still some we're waiting to hear from. This number could go up to 80 or 90%. And listen, listen, listen. We are a poor church. I'm not asking for money. We are a poor church. These missionaries are paying their own money to come. Now, some of us, we think about our money, we go travel. Missionaries, for them to leave their ministry, their ministry has to be healthy enough so they can leave it in the hands of someone else to be able to leave it, taking the time away in their busy calendar like ours are to then say, we'll come, we want to be a part of that. Do you know why? Because the heritage of this church is, look up here, look, is that we know the good news is so good and we want everybody to hear that message. And I'm thrilled by it. So let's look here. Our reflect and respond. As a church, we will... As a church, as a team, we're as a family here. We're going to make new people feel like they belong here. There's a Greek word called koinonias, which means fellowship. There's a Stan Pons word called koinonitis, which means the disease of only looking at each other here. Right? All right? We want to love everybody, but we don't want to have ingrown eyeballs. Number two, we want to view intimacy as a key value within the faith family. So in other words, we don't want to rely upon the public preaching of the word only, but we also want to get involved in small groups. Sunday school classes in groups where we can have a little bit more intimacy as we study the Bible. Number three, we want to base our identity on the future, not our past. We look at the past, we celebrate the past, but we realize that we are a very alive and growing church, so we have to look to the future here as we look toward eternity. Number four, exist for a purpose. Our purpose is not about us, it's not about just our legacy, but we're going to leave the legacy of Christ. Number five, be relationally based instead of facilities based. We want to have good facilities. And we're working on it. How many remember the, news, the uh, t t uh, news this week when they said how much rain the island had? They had like three inches, five inches. How many remember that this week? How many saw where that it was raining in Nu'u Anu? You remember that? All right. They had a fireman, fire engine out here trying to keep rain from going into a person's house. And I'm, I'm nervous. I'm sweating. I just remember our flood and I'm saying, oh, my word, what's going to happen here? So I call Carol. No joke. I call Carol. Wednesday night, she's coming home from the ladies' Bible study. And I said, would you do me a favor? Would you check the stream? And if the water's coming up into the parking lot, would you get down in the stream and break loose those logs? And no, I didn't say that last part. I said, let me know. She went over there. She says, no, the, the parking lot's wet, but there's no water in this thing. So we're really great. Thursday morning, I got here early, and I drove to the park to the, over here. Lincoln was here. I said, Lincoln, help me. I got on the side of the, the, the deal, cleaned out all of the, the side of the, uh, the stream. He then took the stuff to the side of the road. Then another neighbor who helps us occasionally, he jumped into the water. It was so much full that he said the water, when he saw it about, um, I guess, 1 o'clock that, that morning, he said it was already at the parking lot level, but he didn't know what to do. Praise God, it didn't come over. It dropped enough. So in this new on a stream, we're breaking up the logs. We have a handsaw in here. We're chucking the logs up on the side. They're all piled out here. Please take them for the Ohana family camp and burn the life out of those, will you? They're all for you to take. But I'm only telling you that. We can have a nice building, a nice air-conditioned facility, paved parking lot. We can have a popcorn palace, I'll call it. It goes everywhere, and it's all nice. But I don't want us to be known for our facilities. I want us to be known for our love, hope and our faith. So, 
We want to be relationally based. Number six, remain open to try new methods and communicating the old message. New methods, old message. And number seven, it's not in your notes. I looked at this list and I said, there's something that is missing dramatically, and that is that we will have a thorough and accurate knowledge of God's Word. That's number seven. That's how we're going to respond to this good news. As a person, I will do the following. I'll place my faith alone in Christ. If you have not done that yet, you have a lot of news, but you don't have good news. You need to trust Christ as Savior. And remember, the reason the good news is so good is because the bad news for you is so bad. So embrace Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of the good news. Number two, for those that know Christ, love others to Christ. Don't drive them to Christ. Don't buttonhole them. Don't get up on your chair at your office and point your bony finger of wrath at them. Just love them to Christ. Love them enough to give them the message. Number three, rejoice in the hope of living forever in heaven. Because I have Jesus as my Savior. Some of you, you're, you're in the winter of your life. And I know you're trying to pack it all in as much as you can at the end of your life. But we all know that we're going to die. I guess now that uh, Carol and I are getting a little bit further in our life, we have less before us than we have behind us. We start realizing we're not going to be here for forever. And yet the greatest news of all is that we know that we know we go to heaven. It's not a hope, a hope, a hope. I make it. I've got to keep working to get there. It's no, I've got the hope. I've got the promise I'm going to heaven and nobody can change that promise because it's God who's unchangeable. That's the hope. And you have that too, all of you. And then it goes on to say here, and I think this is important, that we're going to strategize how we're going to reach the world for Christ. What's another way we can do it? What are we not doing that can take the message to the world? Number five, increase the fruit I have by Jesus Christ. In other words, are there people that I'm still not yet meeting? Last night, we had our singles group. There was a planning meeting. It wasn't a fellowship work meeting. It was a planning time to look to the future. And it was so neat because one of the guys was asking the question, I don't know any lost people. I don't know how to connect with them. You guys do a better job. And he named a name. And this person was very quick to say, no, I'm just like you are. And so the group got together. And you know what they did? At the end, they prayed for this young man. And they prayed that God would bring people in front of him, that he would see all the opportunities that were there and strategize how to do it. At the end of that, that young man caught fire for God. And here's what he said. He said, you know what? I was talking to someone. Yeah, yeah. In other words, the positiveness is there. If you realize a resistant spirit will destroy your creative spirit to reach others for Christ, you destroy that resistant spirit and allow the creativity of God to strategize how you as a person and how we as a church will connect to this world. Next, we're going to increase our fruit. We're going to grow in our understanding of grace through Jesus Christ. And the way we do that is to understand his word. And finally, obviously, to tell others about Jesus Christ. Well, those of you who are our guests today, here's your opportunity to make sure, to make sure that you're going to heaven when you die. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes? We're going to have you have a private moment with God. We're not going to move around. We're not going to stand up. We're going to give you your private moment with God right now. We're not going to go to our telephones. We're not going to be thinking about other things right now. In your private moment, the rest of these people who have trusted Christ as Savior, they are taking you to the throne of grace for you. They are praying for you. That's all they can do. Some of them, they know you. Some of them, they don't know you. Some of them, they know about you because you are very much like them, seeking God. And they're praying for you right now because they know that the good news is so good and they want you to have it. But here's what they cannot do for you. They can love you. They can play with you, pray with you, all that stuff. But they cannot save you from condemnation. That's something that you and God have to work on. 
And so what you do to, to the Lord, you come to the Lord right now in the private moment that we're giving you. And you simply say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I know I've done things wrong. I know that I'm facing an eternal death of bad news. And right now, I want to receive the good news that Jesus died and he rose again for me and paid for my sins. And he's forgiving me. And I want to say thank you, Lord, for doing that because just like that chair, I not only know it's true, I am now totally, completely relying upon Christ to forgive me and give me eternal life. Now, my friend, you can say that in your own words. It's a mental transaction, but you believe that Jesus is Lord and that he died and he rose again and he will now be your Savior if you'll trust him. Now, you don't come to him promising that you'll start something or stop something. You say, just as I am, and I'm putting my faith in you. Thank you for dying on the cross. Now, if you're doing that, do you know what happens? You have eternal life. You experience the grace of God. You are sealed forever, ever, and ever, and have eternal life. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Make it clear.